Blog Talk Radio. Hey, Dr. Ross Green here. It is time for yet another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Coming to you, as always, from the offices of Lives in the Balance in Portland, Maine. How are you doing today with your behaviorally challenging child? Uh, you on an uptick or a downtick? Uh, they're all part of the program, of course, um, and part of what we do on this program. Sometimes we get upticker calls, people who are doing pretty well um, with things, and downticker calls, people who are still struggling with some aspect of understanding or helping their behaviorally challenging child. Today is a very good day to call in. Um, We have one caller standing by already, but there's room for more. The number is 347-994-2981. Um, I've got lots of email questions that have stacked up as well. Before we get too far ahead of myself, just uh, word um, in terms of what next week, uh, it's Martin Luther King Day here in the United States. So there will not be a program next Monday, January 20th. Uh, The good news is we've got this Monday, January 13th, so let's get this show on the road. And we always give top priority to callers on this program, so I'm going to bring our caller on now. My switchboard is actually being a little slow this morning. There we go. Uh, From area code 716, I think you've called in before, but how are you today? Well, um, I... I, um I'm not sure, <laughs> but but I wanted to thank you. I was listening last week because we we had a terrible uh, weekend uh, uh, with with uh, one of my three very intense, challenging children. Not to mention the one with autism, who wasn't a problem. Um, and um, and what was really great is after we had probably one of the worst weekends we've ever had. I got to hear that show on Monday where you had the mother and the daughter on. Oh, Can yes. you hear me? And, can, and it yeah. was wonderful because I got to hear about how it affects the other kids. And sometimes we focus so much on that one child that we forget how it can traumatize the other kids and how they can feel neglected and how they have anxiety because of what they've seen and how... It feels for the mom when the kids, the other kids are saying, can't you do something to stop them? And so I really needed to hear that. Uh, You couldn't take my call, but I really needed to hear that. So I wanted to thank you for having that insight, and it was just the right time. I'm very glad that the program was helpful to you. So um, anyways... Uh, I guess this is what I'm trying to figure out is um, uh, the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. My husband and I did that for a couple of the kids, and then I don't know if it was right or wrong, but we asked the kids to take a look at it uh, without them seeing what we marked. 
and they marked about half the ones that we thought they would mark and not the other half. And part of that is that they just don't have the insight. Would you agree? Well, how old are the kids again? Uh, 15 and 12 and a half. Well, a 15 and a 12 and a half year old might um, have some insight into their own lagging skills. Um, whether the ALSEP is the best way to get their input, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't think it's tragic. But I think okay. that the thing that you are most interested in getting information from the kids about, not that getting information about lagging skills is a bad thing, is unsolved sure. problems. Um, okay. Because, so and when, I usually get it. Go ahead. Well, when I asked them to write their unsolved problems, because there's many in a large family, I got yes. things from them like I overreact, I get defensive, I practice the policies of pre-imperialized Japan, I'm very irritable, <laughs> I emphasize how good I am as a response to the fragility of my ego. That was from the 15-year-old. Well, well, that's... Um, that wasn't what I was looking a, for intro to psychology class. No, and it may have had something to do with what you asked your 15-year-old for. I asked for um, what the unsolved problems were. And most 15-year-olds, in fact, most 35-year-olds wouldn't know what an unsolved problem is. You might want to ask instead, um, let's make a list of all the things we are fighting about, all of the things we're getting into disagreements okay. about, all of the things I'm asking you to do that you don't think it's okay for me to be asking you to do. And that's going to come bring you closer to unsolved problems. If you simply ask what the unsolved problems are, you're going to get your 15-year-old's interpretation of what you're talking about. And what your 15-year-old gave you is all of – and adults do this in the reverse, by the way. Um, adults often only want to talk about the kid's behavior rather than the problems that are giving rise to those behaviors. What you got back from your 15-year-old is the behaviors you're, you're exhibiting that your 15-year-old doesn't like. But presumably, those behaviors are being exhibited in response to unsolved problems. Your 15-year-old doesn't like how you're going about trying to solve problems. But unless we know yes. what those problems are, you won't be able to prove to your 15-year-old or your 12-and-a-half-year-old that you're trying to go about doing things in a different way. This is why it is so crucial to move off of behavior and on to the problems that are giving rise to those behaviors. So long as we're talking about behavior, yours or your 15-year-olds, we're not, still not talking about the problems that are giving rise to those behaviors. Okay, so... Um if I give you a quick description, can you help me out with something? I'll give it a shot. Um, okay, so two weeks ago, uh, my 12-year-old son, we were going to the YMCA, and then we were going to go to the library. And um, the oldest child, though, she didn't have to go because she had homework, so she got to stay at home. He wanted to go to the Y, so we went to the Y. Then I said, we're going to the library. I thought he knew that. He said, no, I'm not going to go. Drop me off. I said, it's way out of the way. As a family, we're going to go to the library quickly, get a book, uh, because it seems as though it would be nice if we had books for just relaxing at night and for the calmness, you know. 
And so um, we went to Burger King, and he ended up taking uh, his brother's sandwich that I passed back to his brother and destroying it in the car. And I said, well, don't do that. Why did you do that? So I handed one to his brother again, and he destroyed that one too by throwing it onto the, the floor mat. And I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, you didn't get me the sandwich I wanted. I said, everyone got the same, and I don't want to go to the library. I said, well, we're at the library. Now we're going to go back to get your brother a sandwich, but he's going to eat it inside the, the place so that you can't wreck it, and then we're going to go back to the library and go inside. This is what we are doing. And so then when my husband took one of the sons into the um, fast food place to, to eat the sandwich, my my son just then said to his four-year-old brother, uh, I ha- I'm sorry, I have to do something bad to you because I can't do something bad to the brother that's in Burger King. So he dumped water on his head, on his jacket, just to be annoying, just to be annoying. And so then the four-year-old unbuckled, went in the back seat because another brother was laughing at what had been done. And um, so he hit the one who had done this to him. And so I was like, oh, my gosh. So we went to the library. We ended up being at the library. And the son who was doing all the bad things, the 12-year-old, he was like, I need the phone. I, I, I need you to give me the phone. I said, I'm not giving you the phone. He goes, well, I'll keep bugging you until you give me the phone. I said, well, I'm not giving you the phone. So he bugged me about 15 times at the library. Then we got home, and my husband wasn't really wanting to. He was totally overwhelmed. And so we got home, and my my 12-year-old son decided he was going to watch TV and play something in the basement. And I said, no, no, come on up. I'm sorry. You know what? You can't do these kinds of things in our family. It's just the wrong way to solve whatever problem you were having, whether it was the sandwich or going to the library. So I said, what you're going to do now is put just as much energy that you put into the bad into doing something good. So I said, there's a bunch of branches in the backyard. I want you to use your energy for the good and maybe just think about it so we can talk about later about what's going on. And so he said, well, I won't do anything, you say. And so I said to my husband, you know, give him his clothes and the, the clippers, and he'll be outside until he gets it done because right now people are not feeling safe around him or trusting him. So then what he did was um, he wouldn't go out, so my husband just kind of shoved him out the door with everything he needed, then he rang the doorbell for 15 minutes, and then he decided to hit the windows in the back of the house for 15 minutes, and then he decided to take branches and hit the house with those. Uh, it, j- this is bugging. It's not to destroy property. And then um, finally, after about 45 minutes to an hour, he finally got to work in clipping the branches. and. I just realized how stressed out my whole family was in just dealing with, like, a person from our family just kind of intimidating and, ah, oh, it was just, it was really stressful for the family. And then um, uh, and then he said, oh, good, you know what, I've, I've made you late for your appointment, so I've won. And <laughs> we, we stayed and waited for him to finish an extra hour, and... Um, and then we were just trying to figure out what the hell happened there and what, what, what is it that you want? What's the unsolved problem? What is going on? Well, I just, 
I'm a smart boy. I got bored, and I didn't want to do these things, and so I needed everyone to know. <laughs> wow. Well, um, here's what I would say. First of all, it sounds awful. It was awful, it sounds, yeah. it sounds very unpleasant for everybody to go through. Um, the stage for all of this wasn't set overnight. It sounds like these are things that have been building for a long time. Oh, yes, yep. But here's what I would say. I think you're at the yep. fork in the road. I you are so. at the fork in the road because I am hearing several things in the story. Okay. I'm hearing your son exhibiting behaviors that are highly objectionable, destroying his siblings' lunch, dumping water on the head of another, banging on windows. So I'm crystal clear uh, that kid's doing stuff that isn't okay. Those are his behaviors. Well, and I had okay. to decide if I was going to call the cops or not, but I thought that that just for menacing behaviors and harassment, and that does scare him because he cares so much how he looks to other people outside of our house, but he doesn't care at all about what people think of him inside our house. Well, so it might not scare him forever. Well, it might not scare him forever. Um, right. If he's not doing something illegal, the police might show up, give him a good talking to, and then leave. Yep. Yep. In which case, um, the scared straight approach, which is sort of a harsher form of Plan A, um, yeah. it's it's what I would call raising the stakes on Plan A, and I find that that actually usually doesn't work. But what I'm also hearing in the story you told is a lot of Plan A on the part yeah. of the adults. It's well, but at just, what point do you give up? You're a, I mean, we well, have I the right give up on a until weekend. I started to... trying to do a lot of Plan B. Right now, what I'm hearing is that you feel like you have only two things in your repertoire: Plan A, telling him what to do and making him do it, as in pushing him outside and telling him to clean up the debris in the backyard. The problem is. From what I'm hearing, and, and there are mental health clinicians who would try to teach you how to do Plan A better, try to help you implement a reward and punishment program yep. better than you already have, and my bet is that you've been there and done that. Yep. What he's proving to you is that if you do A to him, he's going to A you back. But parents so it have sounds to like have some say. If everything our family does is well, now, up here, to here, a democratic here, here, what you're vote. doing again is you're, you're pretending like there's only two options. A, which is to solve a problem through imposition of will, or abandoning all influence and parental authority in, at all. And the reality is that's why there is a plan B. That's why I created this thing called Plan B. Because I want you to, don't want you to go about trying to have that influence through Plan A in a way that, at least in your kid, causes your kid to do Plan A back. And it sounds to me like okay. when he does yeah, Plan right. A back, you feel very hopeless and very despondent, and like you don't yep. have any control at all. 
and that somehow he's exceeded our parenting is what it feels like, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, he has, he has exceeded plan A, that's for sure. Okay. And the interesting thing is, it, my bet is that that's been happening for quite some time. Since he was five, my, yep. Well, and so uh, the, what, the, what so that tells me is that he's had, about, he's had about seven and a half years of practice, and your 15-year-old's had longer than that. To well, master. She's, she's be, well, she's co-parenting, so she's right in our face about everything. Are you going to put up with that? What are you going to do? So, so you've got a complicated situation there. The more I hear about it, the more complicated it becomes. Sure. But my big takeaway is you're at the fork in the road. Um, we've got to get you good at plan B as soon as possible because at the moment you've got at least one kid, probably two, who whenever you do plan A – Whenever you pull plan A out of the hat to solve a problem, they give you plan A right back. And what they do is they keep proving to you that that's what's going to happen. And so every time you pull plan A out of the hat, they um, it ultimately ends up with you feeling like you're not a very effective parent. Okay. Some mental yes. health professionals would, would actually still try to get you to do plan A better, but not this one. This one wants you to well, start getting really good at plan like B. Well, we don't have people like you here. Yeah, we just um, we don't can't find someone may, in Buffalo. Well, if you email me through the Lives in the Balance website, I will give you the name of somebody in your area, not in Buffalo exactly, but somebody yeah. in your area who can help you. Um, yep. The person has not gone through my certification training, but they are pretty darn good at the model, and we'll see if we can get you the help you need locally. But they're not going to be teaching you how to do plan A better. No, plan no, a but backfires the every time said, you try it now. Yeah, the pe- pediatrician said, bring them in, we'll do a psych eval on them, then I'll give you a referral to a psychiatrist. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, th- then then we put the label on, then, oh, my gosh. Well, not it's, necessarily. It's a family dynamic here. That yeah. You do have a family dynamic going, and it sounds like you and your husband are very fond of Plan A, and Plan A isn't working out for you and your husband. You wouldn't keep taking a medicine if it wasn't working, would you? Yeah. No. Would you keep eating a food if it kept making you throw up? Sure. Um, we got it. The problem is Plan A also sounds like it's your instinct. It's very hard to break instincts. It sounds like a lot of the intervention is occurring in the heat of the moment, so it is very good that you're starting to use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems to get on top of this stuff proactively. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a long slog, but it does sound like it wouldn't be tragic if we had somebody in your area who can help you out. And if you email me through the Lives in a Balance website, just go to the website, go to the contact form. I'll give you the name of somebody in upstate New York who is relatively nearby and might be able to help you out. How do you you're keep at, the You're at the parental. fork in the road. But, okay, but I can't let everyone decide if they want to do what we're doing on the weekend or not. There's no, no, nothing particularly like offensive about going to the library. You're going to need a plan. You're going to need a plan, and it sounds like with your crew, you're going to need them on board. And if you're overseeing that process and if you're facilitating a process in which what we do on the weekend is being solved, um, you still have a lot of authority. There's nothing about this model that takes your authority away. And by the way, I'll be blunt, you don't have a lot of authority when you're pushing your kid out the door 
and he's making you pay for it. Yeah. I wouldn't call that authority. But it keeps everyone else safe when they can't trust him. This I'm not quite so sure about. I'd actually have much more faith in safety if you have mutually agreed upon solutions so that he doesn't have to do plan A back to you when you give him plan A. Contact me through the contact form. That's probably as far as I can take you today. It does. Okay. I'm glad. Uh, here's the one thing I'm slightly glad about. This is going to sound a little weird. I'm glad that you're coming face to face with the fact that Plan A really isn't getting you there. You're still clinging yeah. to it a little bit. You're still thinking that there is some value in Plan A, and who knows? Maybe over time you may still feel like there's some value in Plan A, but at the moment. It sounds like Plan A is blowing up in your face. We got to get you doing something else. Well, and I'll also say that the culture at large. If I were to say this to any other close friend, they would say, "How did you let it get this far?" I would spank him, or I would, you know, I, he would be without privileges for such a long time. It's because they you don't give enough consequences. They clearly haven't walked in your shoes. And, and yeah. by the way, I'm not hearing that you're not consequencing. I'm hearing that consequences aren't working in your family. Time for something else. And, and most people would think that's a failed parent. Um, well, I wouldn't use that terminology. It sounds to me like however it got to be this way, you're still trying to figure out how to do things differently to make them work better. Doesn't sound like a failed parent to me. Yeah. Contact okay. me through the contact Thank form. You. We'll see if we can get you some help in your area, and I appreciate you calling in. Call in any time. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. You bet. Um, Tough situation. Not hopeless, just very tough. Um, I don't judge parents or teachers for the fact that things aren't going as well as they might have hoped. As long as they're trying to make it better, count me in. Let's um, turn our attention. Now, we do have some email responses to that call. Let's see what we got here. Um, a reminder, going to have to prioritize the two or three most important unsolved problems to work on in the moment. The problems didn't pile up overnight and won't get resolved in a hurry either. Yeah, it's going to be – they've got a long haul in front of them. The hard part is um, – They've been working hard for a really long time, and it can be very hard to find the energy when you've already been working hard and don't have much to show for it. It is hard to find the energy to try something new. Here's another email. Uh, we know it's scary to do something a different way. You think that you're giving up control, but by using Plan B, you're actually regaining control and repairing the relationship with your child. We have yet one more uh, once it comes up here. Proactive plan B keeps things calmer. When our family had difficulties, it is like trudging through quicksand. Plan B makes things better. But it's hard out there. Let there be no doubt. All right. 
let's um, turn our attention, given that we do not have another caller at the moment, but let me give that number again, 347-994-2981. Let's go to some email that we've fallen behind on. Hi, I am recently divorced, two years, and my daughter struggles with self-regulation in conjunction with anxiety, depression, and ADHD. Her explosions occur at home and mainly toward me. I have read your book, and Plan B does work well, but one issue we can't seem to manage is when a person is with me that she doesn't want with me, she drives them away with aggression, yelling, insults, name-calling. Even though she and I go through the steps of Plan B, she ends up reverting back to the explosive behavior. How do I approach this when it is another person and not a situation that is the issue? Well, I don't know that it is um, not a situation. Um, I would begin my unsolved problem with the word difficulty. I probably would want to have the name of the person, a person, who she has objected to you being with. We'd want to do this proactively. So the good news is you've got Plan B working. It does sound like you've tried to approach her about it. It might sound like this. I've noticed that you've been having difficulty when I have uh, Jonathan come around the house. What's up? Now, maybe you've started it that way. If not, that might be the best way to go. Of course, Jonathan's probably not the real name of the person who she's objecting to having be around you. And then we've got to get her concern or perspective on the table. I don't know if you've done that. We need to really flesh that out. Um, it would be easy to theorize that she's jealous of your company. That's a theory. That she's still hurting from the divorce. That's a theory that she doesn't want you to go through the pain of having another relationship end the way the first one did. These are all theories. I have no idea what she's going to say. Here's what I do know. Whatever solution y'all come up with to address her concerns has to address your concerns. We've got to make sure that the concerns of both parties are on the table before we try to come up with a solution. Um, mushy concerns tend to lead to mushy solutions. So I can't emphasize enough how important those first two steps are because all solutions, the reference point for all solutions is the concerns those solutions are trying to address. Without knowing what those concerns are, we can't possibly solve the problem. Now, here's perhaps... And this sounds like a very tough situation, so I'm not downplaying that. But here's one other part. Um, it sounds like you've tried to solve this problem before. It would be really helpful if I knew what the solution was. Because whenever I hear a solution, what I say to myself is, what concerns would that solution logically address? Concerns that that solution would logically address were not the concerns 
that we heard about in the empathy step and the define the problem step of plan B, then one thing's for certain, the likelihood is that that solution is not going to work because it wouldn't address the concerns we learned about in those first two steps. So if you feel like uh, emailing back or calling in, um, that's one big detail we're missing. I'm very glad Plan B is working on other things. I can't think of any reason that Plan B wouldn't work on this and the fact that it's another person and not a situation. I actually do think it's a situation, but it really wouldn't matter. Um, you should be able to solve this problem through Plan B. I just need a little bit more detail to try to get a handle on why that's not happening yet. Shall we keep going with some more email? Here's another. I'm reading the Explosive Child book, and it's very good. My daughter has been explosive since she was three, and she's 11 now, so I'm very excited to finish this book. What I wanted to tell you was that when she was six, I was talking to her. girl did the same thing. She said she found out that when she took red dye out of her daughter's diet, the explosion really happened. We did that, and it was like I had a whole different daughter. Then she didn't have red dye. Now that she's 11, she's having more incidents, not the school and other things, more than I'd like her to, but it's hard to completely take it away with her going to friends' houses. I'm excited to read how to handle her explosions when she does. All right. Uh, because a lot of um, people dismiss red by other foods, allergies, or things by many mental health professionals. But here's my attitude. If you've noticed that there's something of the environment, red dye, that's affecting your child behavior. Good chance you're right. Um, it says,
figure out what your lagging skills are. I promise you those lagging skills are suggested red dye or not. You'd be the better judge of whether the unsolved problems whether she's had a die or not, I'm betting there's going to be some unsolved. Has nothing to do with red eye. That's why I'm so glad you are reading the book. Now, you also will want to check out the Balance website. The revised Lives and Balance website may well be launched today, January 13th. 2014, today could be the day. There is one more fix that needs to be made, right? And then, well, wait till you see it. It is quite something. I hope that answer helped you, but the Lives in the Balance website is going to help you too. Here's another. Dr. Green, my six-year-old son has been diagnosed with Asperger's slash autism spectrum disorder. He is the fifth of six children. Recently, he has been stealing from others at school and at stores. He has stolen candy, Legos, and money, a few dollars, and things that I would not expect him to want, like a necklace and violin bow resin. He says he steals things because he wants them. His teacher does not know how to handle it when he does it at school. He will usually not lie initially and then confess later. Do you have any recommendations or information that could help us solve this problem? Well, I do not know if the reason he has begun stealing is because he has Asperger's disorder or an autism spectrum disorder. There are lots of kids who carry those diagnoses, not Asperger's anymore, because they took it out of the DSM, but there are many kids on the autism spectrum who do not steal, most probably, in fact. I do not believe it is because he is the fifth of six children, not because you are, and you weren't saying that it is that reason. I am... Um, strongly recommend the empathy step of plan B um, and that you use the drilling strategies in the empathy step that um, you can listen to in the listening library on the Lives in the Balance website so as to learn how to gather information from your son. Now, the only tricky part here is that stealing is a behavior. And this may be one of those rare instances in which we actually have to go with the behavior. I don't really love going with the behavior as the unsolved problem, but stealing is sometimes, often, one of the rare exceptions to that rule. I would just want to be specific. I wouldn't say stealing in general. I would pick one thing that he has stolen and do plan B on that one thing. Um, if it's not things that he'd want, violin bow resin, I don't know. That empathy step's going to be crucial. We really got to figure out 
what's going on here. We also have to entertain the possibility that he may not know. So I hope we get good information in the empathy step. We may have some figuring out to do on our own as well. But the empathy step is where I would start. Um, He says he wants them, but I think there's much more drilling to be done in the empathy step to see if we can get even more information than that. And that may be, as far as I can take you, not knowing anything more than I know right now about your son and why he might be taking things that don't belong to him. Nice thing about the empathy step, um, he's not in trouble. You just try and understand. Let's keep going. I don't think we have anybody holding on to cat for the phone. So here we go. Just a second here. Well, the good news is we're getting through some email here today. Uh, Dr. Green, I just finished reading The Explosive Child. The section on siblings was helpful, but any words of advice about how to navigate the twin dynamic when one twin is explosive? How do I keep them from constantly falling into dysfunctional patterns? How do I implement Plan B when the non-explosive twin has her identity wrapped up in being good and her twin a problem so she undermines unintentionally her brother's attempts to not explode. They are in separate classes at school. Well, hmm. Uh, It's okay for her to be good. The part that I'm, and it's okay for her to be invested in being good. Uh, I'm not sure what you mean by twin dynamic. I would uh, go at this quite frankly, primarily as if they were two siblings and not place quite so much emphasis on the twin part. Um, And that dynamic that you described, she's invested in being good and she's invested in having her twin be a problem, so she's undermining her brother's attempts to not explode. That carries with it assumptions that I wouldn't necessarily make. I think we got to get down to the level of what unsolved problems are causing the one sibling to get upset and how can we gather information about those unsolved problems so that we understand them as well as we possibly can. And then how can we solve those problems in a way that is realistic and mutually satisfactory. And I have this feeling that if you do that, put the hard work into doing that, because I don't have the slightest idea how you'd go about trying to work on the theory that the non-explosive twin has her identity wrapped up in being good and has her identity wrapped up in having her twin be a problem so that she's undermining her brother's attempts to not explode. Um, I don't have the slightest idea how to work on that, 
but I have a feeling you may not believe that once you get those problems solved. So I would shift focus a little bit from the twin dynamic to being really specific about the unsolved problems that are setting in motion challenging episodes for your behaviorally challenging child. We'll see what happens to the twin dynamic after you start solving those problems. Just one man's opinion. Let's see how much time we have left here. We have four minutes left. Can I answer one more? I'm going to try. Hi, Dr. Green. I've read about the problem-solving method you teach. Watched your video on the explosive child. I am a single parent and raised by brick wall parents. And I'm finding myself sliding back into plan A and lately, to be honest, have totally blanked on this whole idea of solving problems collaboratively, much to the damage of my relationship with my nine-year-old son. Is it too late to save it and really be there for him? I really want the best for him, but grounding, talking, explaining consequences seem to have an effect for only for a day or so. I don't want to be a crazy mom, which is how I'm feeling. I don't want to further damage my relationship with my son. I love him more than life itself. He has no diagnoses, as I have a hard time with labels, and although his teachers the last two years have hinted and outright suggested that I have him diagnosed, I am not willing to do that. Is there anywhere I can turn for some help or coaching with your CPS model? His new school uses this approach, and although he is happy and doing well there at home, it feels like he and I are in a constant battle of wills. My son is an incredibly smart boy, and his teachers at his new school to say that that is one of his saving graces all right, well, let's start at the very beginning. My recommendation is that you get on the Lives in the Balance website, um, explore all of the materials that are there for you. When the new website is launched, there's going to be a tour that will walk you through the three different components of the model, along with videos and audio programming to help you understand each component of the model. The first part, of course, is to get the right lenses on. The second part is to identify lagging skills and unsolved problems. And the third part is to do plan B well and proactively. We've got to go back to the beginning. We've got to start over. The question you asked was, is it too late? It's, not, it's never too late to repair your relationship with your child, improve communication with your child, work together on solving the problems that are causing conflict between you two. Never too late for that, but we got to start at the beginning, and it's really hard. The good news is that you've noticed that grounding, explaining consequences are not giving you durable results. It does sound like you have some plan A instincts. And there are people who have plan A instincts who weren't raised by brick wall parents, but maybe that's why you have plan A instincts. It doesn't really matter. When you use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems 
to identify lagging skills and unsolved problems. You set the stage for the problem-solving enterprise to not only be collaborative but also proactive. I'm reading between the lines here of your email, but you don't want to primarily be intervening in the heat of the moment. You want this to be planned and proactive, not just collaborative, but also planned and proactive. And of course, you are welcome to call into this program anytime if you want any help along the way. That is going to do it for us today on Parenting Your Challenging Child. Thanks for listening in. Once again, no program next Monday because of the Martin Luther King holiday here in the United States. But I'll be back the Monday after that, January 27th, with another program. Talk to you then.